This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. As part of our series covering this year's changes and transitions in the Washington State Democratic Party leadership, we are so excited to have someone with us who really doesn't need an introduction with this crowd, certainly not for longtime listeners of this show. Shasti Conrad is the former chair of the King County Democrats, and she was recently elected as the new chair of the Washington State Democratic Party. This is huge. We could not be more excited. Hello, Shasti. Congratulations. How are you? Hello, it's so great to be back here and finally get to celebrate with you. You of all folks have been a part of my journey, you know, for the last several years. So it's really exciting to get to be back here and celebrate it with you. We couldn't be more excited. And there's so much to talk about. And, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And, uh, you know, I think we're just really looking forward to the next, uh, particularly the next couple of years to see, you know, how all of this stuff starts to take shape. It's a very exciting time. Uh, I'll just mention for listeners that you were the youngest person ever to be elected uh, Washington State Party chair. You represent generational change. You're the generation after mine. I'm Gen X. You're millennial. So talk about this. How, how are you thinking about this? I mean, I, I think it is a big deal. You know, while I was um, campaigning in January, I talked a lot about, you know, the image of Speaker Pelosi handing the gavel to Hakeem Jeffries. And in some ways, I feel like that's what happened between me and, you know, Chair Tina Pawlodowski and, and now to myself is that it really is signaling this generational change, like you said, Um I'm the first millennial to have a statewide position like this um, for the Democratic Party. And, you know, I think that really is like it's it's just saying like, okay, we're here. It's time for us to be in these seats and um, showing that the Democratic Party is a place for someone like me and that, you know, folks of, you know, generations that before me could trust someone like me to to lead them um, as we continue to make this progressive change. I'm also going to mention to folks that you're the first person of color to ever hold a position. This is a huge deal. It's about damn time. Uh, well, in what ways do you think this is going to inform your approach to the job? I should say first woman of color, but yes. Thank you um, very much. Okay, thanks yeah, for the yeah, correction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I think certainly, you know, in all of the work that I do, my lived experience as a brown woman, you know, informs all of that. And I think similarly to, you know, demonstrating, you know, that a young person can lead, being able to show that a woman of color, um, you know, is the face of the Democratic Party here in Washington state sends a really important signal to folks. Um, and we're seeing that throughout the country and, and you know, so many different institutions and whatnot about really showing how women and women of color lead we build differently you know we the ways in which we um come in to solve problems you know and we've had to solve problems we've had to be the leaders for our families in our communities for so long but to now be able to move into these institutions where you know we're here to build we're here to expand and grow the party i think it's a really a powerful signal. And I also, we found out I, my first week on the job, I went to the um, DNC's winter meeting. We found out I'm um, the first South Asian woman to lead a party Democrat or Republican in the entire country ever. Oh, wow. Wow. And then um, it looks like I'm the first AAPI chair, um, Democratic Party chair in the contiguous 48 states um, ever. So it's pretty incredible the history that we're making right now, right here in Washington state. 
I, I'm very, very excited about this, and I know that everybody watching and listening is as well. And, you know, in terms of our audience, uh, everybody knows you. As I said, uh, you, during your time as a chair of King County Democrats, uh, I think you were on this show so much that you were almost an honorary co-host, uh, which is wonderful. So you know what grassroots organizations bring to the table. Um, what are some of the ways that you plan on working with grassroots groups as state chair? Well, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I'm really proud of and I keep sort of um, bringing forward as I've, you know, it's been my first month in the job is that I come from the grassroots, you know, like I come from having, you know, led a, a county party organization, but also like I've spent my life volunteering on campaigns, working on campaigns, working with organizations like Indivisible. Um, and so that's always going to be my perspective in what it takes to lead a Democratic Party organization. Um, and, you know, we're going to need volunteer support. We're going to need that activism, that energy that, you know, you all brought in, um, you know, post-2016 that powered us to victory, you know, that helped us um, take back the eighth and get Kim Schreier into um, Congress. The folks down in CD3 who helped us get Marie Glues and Camp Perez, like that is grassroots powered. And the indivisible groups across the state you know, have really led in that way. And, and you know, I have to admit, as someone who has led a Democratic Party organization, you know, sometimes folks would come into our party meetings and they would feel like this wasn't their home because we would meet them with, you know, they wanted to do something, right? They felt like the world was on fire, Trump was in office, and they'd come to a Democratic Party meeting and they would be met with parliamentary procedure, resolutions, and then they would go and find a home in the, with indivisible, you know, with indivisible communities, because you all were action oriented, you know, you are about getting people registered to vote, you're knocking doors, you are doing that work. And I think that that's something that's really important that we find our ways to work together and, and, and that the party learns from what you all have built as well. So I'm excited about that. I can't wait to work with all of you. I'm hopeful that folks will run for precinct committee officers, that you will take over some of your Democratic Party organizations and bring that energy in. And we'll see you on the campaign trail, you know, these next two years. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I want to talk about, you know, recruitment issues and things like that as, as well. But, you know, you mentioned the spike in participation that we saw in the 2016 election. And a lot of people did get involved with the Democratic Party as well. Um, as you say, uh, some we, we, we caught some of the folks who uh, maybe wanted to uh, kind of use their energy in a little bit of a different way. But I'll just ask you, are you feeling good generally about the level of engagement that we have now with the Democratic Party in 2023? You know, uh, it's not 2016 anymore. I think we what we're seeing now is a lot of people who are in it for the long haul. So how do you think about keeping the party motivated and active right now? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we are moving beyond just being in a state of resistance, right? And we are now, we are about long-term building, long-term organizing. I think that it's important for the Democratic Party, you know, and this is something that's really important to me is as you know, now a lead messenger here in Washington state is that we don't just, I, um, we don't just identify ourselves as us versus them, right? That we are building and talking about these things as what can Demo what are Democrats doing? Who are we? You know, what are our values? How do we deliver for people? 
And and when we talk about winning or losing, that we're actually talking, what does winning mean, right? How are we making a difference in people's everyday lives? And the truth is, is that we are, but we haven't always done a great job of being able to show that. And I think that has left some people feeling like, well, why should I participate in the Democratic Party? Or like, what does that, what does that even mean? What does that give me? And I think in terms of engagement, you know, I think all of our, you know, every institution has been grappling with burnout. Um, you know, COVID and the pandemic didn't do us any favors, right? Of just, we haven't, we couldn't see each other, you know, we couldn't get together and do things like we had been able to do pre-pandemic. And so now as we're heading into, you know, our local races in 2023, but we have another big year in 2024 with a presidential race, but also, you know, likely a lot of action across the state. Um, you know, we need folks to feel like they want to get out of their houses and come and be involved and get, you know, um, knock doors and make phone calls and text and do those types of things. And I, I do think that a lot of that energy right now is just trying to make sure that people feel supported and feel like that, you know, there's, that there's room for them to, um, that their engagement matters, you know, yeah. that there's room for them to contribute. Well, part of that contribution, as you say, is electoral. And, you know, you touched on recruitment earlier. Your predecessor, very, very focused on running uh, a candidate in every single race. And this is often about building a ground game in these districts, right? So how do you look at this challenge? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've we are in some ways a victim of our own success, right? In that we have had the last three cycles have been the best cycles that we've seen in, in Washington state. We have picked up, um, you know, seats up and down the I-5 corridor. We have built, um, we now have Democrats in every statewide office. Um, but, you know, we keep having some troubles in rural parts of the state and, um, you know, we've lost some ground in, you know, places out in the peninsula, um, you know, seats that used to be held by Democrats are trending purple to red. And, you know, I think we have to look at some of those opportunities as long-term investments. You know, we probably are not going to pick up CD4 or CD5 immediately. But in an odd year like this, we have opportunities to be able to um, build the bench by getting some folks into some more local seats, which helps them build name recognition, helps them build a resume of accomplishments. Um, one of the first things I did as I got into this job was I asked our data team to look for races that I call those nice edge races, right? Those races that we could really make a difference. Um and one of the things that we found is that in the city of Sunnyside, which is in Yakima County, there are three seats that are up this year that um, looking at, you know, sort of vote Democratic scores, we're pretty sure that these folks lean Republican. All three of them, when they were up before, like won by less than 100 votes. One of them won by one vote. Wow. Sunnyside is 70 percent Latino. If we do the investment in Spanish language organizing, we could and, and get people registered to vote, get them get exciting um, leaders from that community to run for office. We can pick up those seats. And now you've got an anchor of people who are getting electoral experience. They are the community is getting to know them. And then in a couple of years, 
they'll run for state legislature maybe you know and they'll and then if we can pick up some of those seeds maybe we'll have a wonderful candidate to run in cd4 or cd5 or we have to be ready for that opportunity like in cd3 where you know suddenly the sort of more moderate republican is pushed out because the Republican Party has gone so far to the right. And now you're left with a MAGA Republican. And that gives us a chance to pick up the seat. And so we have to be ready for that by getting people trained up and getting our volunteer lists ready to go. And all of that work, you know, really matters as we think about building in some of these places that, you know, you look at the map and you just see red. Yeah, I mean, this bench building, as you say, I think that, you know, I think a lot of people were very frustrated with uh, the last two election cycles down in the third. Uh, But I don't think that what Mariko's and Camp Perez was able to do could have happened. And as you say, there was a circumstance uh, in which Jamie Herrera Butler was knocked out of the primary. But it couldn't have happened without Carolyn Long and her two races doing all the the bench building there. And of course, the things that you're talking about out in CD4 is very eerily uh, consistent with the conversation that Kat and I uh, just had offline recently about how that could possibly uh, make a huge difference in places like Yakima and others in in CD4. Um, I want to touch on candidate diversity a little bit, because I know that this is very important to you personally and professionally. Um, First, you know, just talk about why it is so, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but talk about why it is so important that we continue to grow the diversity of our elected officials here in the state at every level. Right. Well, I mean, I think because we need to be reflective of our state, right, and reflective of the different, um, you know, the diversity of our communities, um, I think that it's important that folks who have not often had a voice um, in decision making are at the table being able to, you know, set policy. I mean, we're seeing because we have elected the most diverse state legislatures the last several cycles, each year we keep improving, we keep adding to like the members of color caucus. We're getting more progressive policy passed statewide that benefits everybody. Um you know, this makes a difference. The fact that we're even like really seriously talking about the wealth tax, that is because we are, we have elected more diverse, you know, younger, more progressive people. Um, you know, the types of Democrats that we are electing has shifted. And, you know, that also means that it's like folks who have a different vision for what the world could be, you know, and have, um, different, they come with, you know, different sets of life experiences that makes them feel also this sense of um, needing to, you know, prioritize action, right? Like needing to actually get things done and not just work through incrementalism. So, you know, I think that's incredibly important. And, you know, we know that Gen Z is an even more diverse generation than, you know, my generation millennials and the folks before us. Like, these demographics are shifting and it's going to be important that we keep on track and we sort of demonstrate that we are also growing and changing as the way, you know, society is too. Um, you know, you've also been very vocal about the need for candidate safety, uh, especially in the wake of these assaults that we saw on uh, black candidates and staffers. So how do you think we can better ensure because we're asking people to step up when we ask them to run for office. And oftentimes, you know, we're asking them to run in hostile territory in, the, in, in red districts and things like that. How are we working on ensuring the safety of people running for office and, and the people who support them? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's incredibly important. And I know, you know, that my predecessor, Tina, um, you know, did a really good job of working with the Senate Democratic Caucus and the House Democratic Caucus to put together a safety and security plan, particularly for our Black candidates, but also generally candidates of color and folks that were running in more, uh, you know, rural territory where there were more sort of um, white supremacists and, and, and all that. You know, I think that it's really important that we are proactive you know, about this, that we don't just wait for a crisis to happen. And we just we are prepared and are working with our partners like the members of the Black Caucus um, to help us make sure that we are putting those plans in place. We're having those conversations with candidates as they're deciding to run. We're talking about the resources that we have together. I mean, I think privacy and security is something for all of our members is something that we have to think about. Um, but it's particularly true for candidates of color and for their staff. You know, we had um, um, several cases where it was like a black campaign manager or a volunteer on people's campaigns were targeted. And so it's certainly obviously the candidates are the most visible, but it's it's um, everyone who's working in these spaces needs to be aware of uh, privacy and security concerns. Thank you for that. And I know that this is something that is evolving and there are no quick or easy answers to this. So I'm sure this is a conversation you and I will be returning to at some point. Um, I do want to shift over and talk about uh, the next couple of elections, as, as you were touching on earlier, starting with this year's elections. So I'll just ask, you know, we have some very important races at the county and municipal level coming up. What races are, are you going to be focusing on? I mean, certainly, you know, there'll be a lot of action in King County. I mean, it seems like, you know, Seattle City Council, it's like almost every seat is up. Mm -hmm. um, there's two King County Council um, seats that have been vacated by the incumbents. So we've got, you know, people running for those. So certainly there'll be a lot of action. Um, as always, I think there'll be, you know, school board races and city council races, particularly on the east side to be watching. I know like Bellevue City Council, we've got a couple of seats there. Kirkland City Council, we've got a couple of opportunities there, I think, to, you know, get some solid progressives running. Um, and then around the state, you know, like I mentioned, the Sunnyside City Council races, um, I'm really watching the Spokane mayor's race. The um, Republican incumbent won by only 848 votes last time, and we've got a real opportunity to make a difference there and maybe flip that seat. Um, and that's another opportunity, right, where that's a building the bench moment. Um, if we have a really solid Democratic Spokane mayor, let's get them ready to maybe someday they'll run for CD5, you know, Um and so I think that's a really big opportunity. I know down in southwestern Washington, there's a couple of like Port of Vancouver seats that people are watching. Um, I asked our state committee members who, you know, will represent all of our different um, party organizations across the state to share with me what races they were watching for this year. And so we're kind of compiling all of that right now. And, um, you know, I think it's important for us to keep an eye on this, that like, you know, you've heard me say this on your show many times, there are no off years, you know, you schooled every... me on that a few times when I referred yes, to it as an know, off year election. You're like, nope. exactly. uh, no, off odd. It is an odd year um, with sometimes odd races, but no, we, we are excited about um, the fact that we have to stay engaged again and we have to make sure that we're supporting folks. And this is a year where it's a lot of first time candidates, too. And that means that they really need, you know, um, skilled, talented volunteers to help them, you know, help them be successful.
As you were talking about some of the races that you're focusing on, I saw Kat Madley scribbling notes. So I know that we're going to be talking to some of these candidates uh, here on the show as the year proceeds. So everybody stay tuned for that. Uh, you mentioned school board races. We know that there is a big push by the MAGA right to take over and infiltrate our school boards. Just your thoughts generally on the importance of these school board races and, and how we how we win here. Yeah, I mean, I said it back in 21, you know, that the school board races were like the front lines of democracy. And that is still as true, if not more, you know, in this cycle this year. Um, this Sunday, I'm going down to Tacoma to go to a protect trans kids um, rally. And, you know, unfortunately, school boards are where those debates are happening, you know, where we are seeing um, we're seeing um, a movement to restrict people's rights um, to actually for like really to to take away people's humanity, to see them as less as a full human. And we're seeing that for the LGBT, you know, community, but also when we talk about controlling curriculum related to African-American history, you know, we're we're seeing how this is being played out. I mean, this is it sounds hyperbolic, but this is out of the playbook of Nazi Germany, right? I mean, this is, this is where this stuff starts. And, you know, we have to be on the defense and making sure that we are getting great candidates to run, but that we are standing alongside those candidates and helping to protect them and help get them across the finish line. Otherwise, you know, that backslide to authoritarianism, it's going to happen and we can't take our eye off the ball. Thank you for being so uh, forward on that and not pulling any punches. I think everything you're saying is exactly right. By the way, gang, as a side note, we're going to be doing a podcast later this month on how to run for school board. The Win Statewide uh, Schools Work Group is producing a how to run for school board guide. It's, it's going to be available coming up very shortly. So stay tuned for that. If you are interested in the guide, uh, just hit us up here at indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com and we will put you on a list for distribution when that is available. So let's do talk about 2024 because uh, everybody's already looking ahead to that right now. So I would love to get your thoughts on how you're thinking about certain things. So you talked about the 8th. As we know, the 8th district is pretty solidly purple now. So Dr. Kim Schreier flipped the seat in 2018. She is a two-term incumbent. Uh, how are you thinking about the 8th district now and what it's going to take to keep it in Democratic hands? I mean, I, you know, I think the great part of the work that you all did, you know, through the Indivisible community, you really did make that district purple, you know, and then we have to give, um, you know, uh, Representative Schreier a lot of credit and, you know, she has shown up um, and she's done the work and that also has she's. And she's built the bridges. I was just meeting with the Kittitas County Democrats last night, and I was sort of really realizing, like, oh, my goodness, you know, you all, you're in the eighth, you know? That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Kim has to be able to talk to folks who are living in Wenatchee and, you know, uh, Chelan, all the way to, you know, those of us in King County. And she's done a great job of being able to kind of walk that line of being able to hold um, both ends of the party together in her district. So, you know, and I, I was I remember being with her on um, election night, you know, at the state Democrats big party. And she was like, I've never been up on an election night. You know, this is the first time that, you know, she had been able to have that kind of moment. Um I think, you know, we shouldn't take our eye off the ball in, in CD8 also. I mean, the truth of it is, is that we 
did, and it's weird to say this, but we did benefit from the Dobbs decision, making it very real that folks needed to vote to protect reproductive rights. I don't know for sure whether that is going to still be a motivator in 2024. We can't take it for granted and we can't, I mean, the Supreme Court is making terrible choices, but we can't count on that being a motivator. We have to continue to do the organizing work. So I think it's important that we still see it as a purple district and we don't get too comfortable to think that you know, we don't have to worry about it anymore. But that said, I'm going to move, you know, I, I think thinking about CD3, um, you know, is also probably where we will be spending a lot of time. And and the ways in which in cycles past CD8 was where we were like, this is our chance. We have to do everything we can. I think CD3 moves a little bit more into that pole position for this next cycle. 100% agreed. I was going to ask you about that. You know, what what is the role of the state party in keeping uh, Marie and Camp Perez in that seat? You know, I think we have to do like we like we've done, which is we have to make sure that we have the organizing resources and infrastructure there to make sure that we are supporting um, Marie and and that she's got the grassroots support that she needs. I mean, you know, I I've read the articles. I've heard, I've heard her say it, which is she felt frustrated that we came in late, you know, and, and that's because we were making sure we had the eighth and we didn't know if we were going to be able to get CD3. And I think now we're very clear that we need to make those investments in CD3. Um, I'm planning to spend a good portion of the next two years down in Southwest Washington and, um, you know, uh, getting to know my friends in Vancouver and whatnot. And, um, you know, I think that's going to be really important. And, you know, she, she's going to need all the support that she can get and she's doing a great job already, but it's going to be tough. And it looks like it's going to be a rematch with Joe Kent saying he's running again, um, so, you know, those same kind of worse, uh, worst parts of the Republican Party are going to be right back up, you know, fueling those fires. So we have to be ready. Uh, the camera wasn't on me when you mentioned that Joe Kent was running again, but my face. I really? <laughs> wow. I had no idea. OK. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so they like to lose a lot, I guess, you know, they, they just <laughs> want to keep coming back. <laughs> OK, well, yeah, but the, to, to be continued on that as well. You know, um, 2024, uh, apart from the, the I think a lot of the work that we're going to have to do here at, you know, at, particularly in CD3, keeping CD8 and also, uh, you know, continuing to expand our margins in the legislature um, is also going to be largely focused on the presidential and Senate races. Um you know, you recently spent a lot of time uh, with other states, with other uh, Democratic chairs in advance of last year's election. So I'm wondering, how are you thinking about the, the role that our state has to play uh, in, in, in terms of like supporting the presidential election and, and really the Senate races, particularly in those really key swing states? Yes. I mean, uh, it's already starting, right, where folks are coming into our state to raise money for national campaigns and campaigns that are not here in our own state. And, you know, I, I know that that was something that was um, very frustrating for my predecessor. And I understand it. I'm seeing it already. Um, but I do think that my background, having worked on national campaigns, puts me in a unique position to be able to recognize that's going to happen. But how can we make sure that it benefits our state as well? You know, how do we work together to say, you know, 
I get that you come in for our resources, but you're going to have to help us too. You're going to need to show up for our candidates. Um, and how can I help to make sure that our um, local races are getting onto their radar as well? Um, and that, that also means us being a good partner, you know, like um, we're, you know, uh, the same day that I was elected, there was a new um, chair in for the Arizona Democrats who was elected, also a young woman of color. And, you know, Arizona is now a battleground. And so the ways in which we can, you know, support each other in our roles, at times Washington will show up for them. And I hope at times they will come through and work with us to build up our resources to our party. Um, and, you know, it's exciting. And I, I you know, to be my first term uh, to be a presidential cycle is very exciting. Um, and, you know, that means that we've got to we have to hit the ground running and and uh, get to work and do all of that. But I think my hope is that we have a fairly simple presidential primary um, and therefore that leaves us being able to focus on our our state and the races that we'll have here. Uh, you are always looking for feedback. So how would you like folks to interact with the State Democratic Party? Well, absolutely. You know, I, I do love getting to hear from our activist friends and from the grassroots. So certainly I'll make sure that you have my contact information to share with folks. And, you know, I hope that people will come to um, meetings and events. I'm going to be traveling across the state and I hope that people will come out to our town halls and whatnot and share with me what's going on in their communities and what they'd like to see from the Democratic Party. I'm all about putting the fun back into the party, put the party back in the party. Um, I hope folks will come to our events. The other big thing, honestly, is that, you know, I've, I've got a tall order to make sure that we have the resources that we need to run the best field program in this state out of the entire country. And having grassroots support, having folks who can give, even if it's $27, um, you know, every little bit helps. And it honestly allows me to be able to spend more time with the grassroots. And so giving giving to the state party, becoming monthly donors for the state party, that is an absolute key part of being able to support me as I move into this role and make sure that we have what we need to to win elections up and down the ballot and across the state. Well, you heard her gang. Uh, she's putting the party back in the party. So uh, and that's going to take uh, some funds. So uh, pitch in where you can, both in terms of your time and your capital. Shasti, you are amazing. It is so good to see you again. And I'm just I'm very excited for all the work ahead. I'm very excited about all the ways that uh, Indivisible and the Democratic Party are going to interface together. So I'll just say congratulations and uh, come on back. We'll see you soon. Right. Love to. So great to see you again. Thanks for all the support. And uh, let's go win. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.